you're a more mature company, say you're above 10 million ARR, right? You should have a metric calculated in each of those boxes. But if you're early stage, it may be just focused on bookings retention because we know our margins aren't going to be good yet. Our efficiency isn't going to be good yet. So again, kind of those right metrics at the right stage. Welcome to Row with CFOs, a finance podcast by Row for busy CFOs who want to take their leadership to the next level and controllers, accountants, and others wish to become CFOs in the future. I'm your host and CFO of Row, Jeremy Clapperman. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to introduce Ben Murray, the SaaS CFO who we have joining us on our podcast today, whose work I followed closely for many years on his website, and who's also followed very closely by our clients and many of our listeners. Uh, ben, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you with us. Thanks, Jeremy. Great to be here. Um, so I've been a huge follower of your work over the years. In fact, I probably consult your website almost once a month uh, as I'm working on our metrics. And um, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, let's say someone's already spent time researching the key metrics on your website, the magic number, the payback period. What are the most important ones that you would guide them to look at? Which ones are more relevant for different types of companies or at different stages of the company? Uh, please give us your thoughts. Yeah, great question. Because really, right, there's so many metrics in SaaS, you know, for software companies. And I like to say the right metrics for the right stage of your business. And I do think there are core metrics. And I've developed this five-pillar framework now that helps guide SaaS companies through that process. And, you know, pillar one is growth. You know, so how are we doing in growth? New customers coming in, new ARR. How are we doing on expansion? You know, are we expanding customers? Is our ARPA going up? You know, the next is retention. You know, so, of course, gross dollar retention, that revenue retention, very important. Logo retention. Then next is margin profile. You know, so what does our gross margin look like? What do our margins by each revenue stream look like? And then our OPEX profile, pillar four, you know, rule of 40, EBITDA, OPEX as a percent of revenue. And then we get to kind of the sexier metrics, right? Sales and marketing efficiency. So payback, cost of AR, magic number, and so on. You know, so you progress from left to right in this. You know, so if you're a more mature company, say you're above 10 million ARR, right? You should have a metric calculated in each of those boxes. But if you're early stage, it may be just focused on bookings retention because we know our margins aren't going to be good yet. Our efficiency isn't going to be good yet. So again, kind of those right metrics at the right stage. Complete sense. Um, now, for some of these metrics, can you tell us more about what would an attractive level be? Maybe we could pick a metric from each of the five key pillars. So what would what would an attractive net revenue retention rate be? What would an attractive magic number CAC payback period be? Yeah, sure. Say, yeah, like gross dollar retention, net revenue retention. Of course, you know, there are a lot of great benchmarks out there. And we do have to be careful with aggregate benchmarks because we really have to look at the profile of our business. You know, for example... Do we target enterprise customers and, you know, $100,000 million contracts? Or are we a small price point, you know, and $50 a month? You know, so that determines the benchmarks. But in general, say for gross dollar retention, if you're targeting a little larger customer size, I think, you know, 95% and above is best in class for GDR. Net dollar retention or net revenue retention seems to be around that 120% and above as best in class. You know, so there are some rules of thumb you know, again, then we have to really benchmark our profile of business and then say CAC payback period, you know, again, depends on your price point. You know, six months would be could be great for me, but horrible for you, Jeremy. So, you know, if you know, again, smaller price point businesses, you know, maybe let six months or less. If you're targeting uh, enterprise customers, it could be, say, 12 to 18 months or less. You know, so, you know, so there are a lot of 
ranges out there, but again, tons of great benchmarks, which is great, you know, you know, to benchmark our business. Great color on those. Now we have, I think a lot of people, um, who follow, um, the SaaS CFO who aren't at a SaaS company, they might be at a FinTech company or a traditional business. Any advice for them on how they can apply their metrics or your framework to their business? Yeah. Yeah, and you see revenue streams changing. No longer is it just fixed MRR, AR each month. There's so many different revenue streams. So you could be fintech, you could be some other platform or revenue model where these metrics are still applicable. And if you do have recurring revenue, and maybe it's variable each month and it changes, we can still say try to apply gross dollar retention, net revenue retention to our numbers to see are these numbers that are moving up and to the right and somewhat predictable and that we can frame up just like contracted MRR, ARR, you know, so you could still calculate GDR, NDR. Now, if it's a bit variable, seasonal, cyclical, you know, I've talked to other CFOs in those businesses where they look at longer periods. Maybe it's 12 months over 12 months to smooth out those variable revenue streams so they can make use of metrics that could be applicable to their business. And, you know, it just takes a little, some changes to those classical metrics. You know, say CAC payback period, for example, you know, maybe we have to look at an estimated value for that customer if we have some sort of variable revenue stream versus, hey, we know we landed this customer at $1,000 a month, and that's what you will use in these formulas. So so those fintech variable revenue streams, different revenue models, we just have to tweak the, the metrics a bit. Makes sense. Um, a lot of our CFOs and other um, financial practitioners who are listening in don't only monitor and calculate these metrics, but also try to drive impact. What are some best practices you've seen from people who are trying to improve, for example, their CAC metrics or their net revenue retention rate or uh, the rule of 40 metric, for example? What are some best practices you've seen in terms of driving value and driving that change to improve the metrics? Yeah, definitely. You know, as, as CFOs, right, we know, like, sometimes half the battle is just calculating these metrics. So I tell people, it's like, hey, let's just calculate it and see what it says. Does it make sense? Does it make intuitive and operational sense? Because a lot of these companies I work with haven't calculated these metrics, so they're not sure. So I'd say, hey, your, your GDR is 70%. That's not that great. Does that make sense? They're like, well, actually, that does line up with operations. You know, So half the battle is calculating the metrics. And then as a CFO, my perspective, it's like, all right, now we have to dig into the operations, right? You know, that only tells us so much. Now, if we have retention issues, you know, it's like, okay, I'm reaching out to my customer success team, or do we have onboarding issues? Do we have product issues? You know, so that's really where as an executive team, for me as a CFO, is communicating these metrics, educating our team on what these metrics mean, and we're far off, you know, what are our goals, what are our benchmarks? And then really, you know, that's where that operational piece comes in as a CFO. We've got to work with those teams to kind of then dig into the operations and determine, do they know this? Does it, can they explain why these numbers are this way? Or if they don't, then working with those teams to drive improvement. Makes complete sense. Any advice for people who haven't yet set up the metrics? They are still focusing on how should we calculate them? How should we get the organization to use them? Uh, what are the first steps people can do if they're just mm -hmm. reading your website for the first time and they want to apply it to their business? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's a pattern that I see if, if they're like, we're just entering this phase where we know metrics are important, we haven't calculated anything yet. So first, I always, when, when I work with my students in my course or my clients, it's first the accounting foundation. 
You know, are we set up for success there? Do we have the right chart of accounts? Are we coding revenue correctly on the P&L? Do we have the proper cost centers in our COGS area? You know, so working with our accounting team, making sure we have that set up correctly, and then we can create that proper SaaS P&L. Because there's a lot of fundamental information that we can get from our SaaS P&L. Of course, we can see trends, we can see margins, we can see our OPEX profile, EBITDA. So that's the second step. And then finally, then now let's focus on the metrics because say, for example, off our SaaS P&L, okay, we've cleanly categorized sales expenses, marketing expenses, which flow into sales and marketing metrics. But if we can't find those expenses easily on our P&L, you know, then it's going to be difficult, right, to calculate metrics. You know, so there's an evolution with accounting to your SaaS P&L and then metrics. And then, of course, there are tons of metrics, but just start. It's hard to say, hey, in four weeks, I'm going to calculate all 20 metrics right now. Just focus on specific metrics. Get those right, you know, before you move on to the next ones. Understood. So the key takeaways are first have your good general infrastructure in place. Mm -hmm. Then when you have that, you can select a few key metrics to start building them using them more widely, starting to use them to drive performance. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Now, I think you are probably most well-known for the metrics, but independently of that, you have a lot of experience with SaaS companies more generally. We have a lot of clients at, at SaaS companies and a lot of listeners at SaaS companies. What general CFO advice or best practices can you give for people at SaaS companies independently of the metrics? Yeah, independently of the metrics, right? You know, again, we can't, you know, it, it, it gets back to just that accounting foundation. You're working with a lot of SaaS companies, early stage of accounting outsourced, and the founders are relying on those bookkeepers accounts to provide those financials. You know, so again, bef like I said, before we even get to the metrics, it's like, hey, let's just have good, accurate close, right? So we can close the books, so we can have those financial statements on a timely basis, you know, check our cash balance, not wait 30 days for the books to be closed, and then we're waiting another 30 days. You know, so I think it just starts with those basics, uh, you know, so just outside of the metrics. And then, you know, tech stack is becoming big within SaaS companies. You know, not just finance and accounting, you know, it's now it's more than general ledger, you know, invoicing, RevRec, you know, spend management, you know, that we have to think about our product roadmap, not only for dev, but now just those tools we need internally as our SaaS company scales, which is so important because there's so much data trapped in SaaS companies, you know, that the tech stack internally has to evolve as well. Right. You mentioned one thing that a lot of our clients have gone through, which is the move from outsourced accounting when you're a younger company to insourcing it, which allows you to have that higher quality, greater control, whether it's focusing on metrics to drive the business or just better managing and controlling your spend. What stage and what things should companies consider when they're thinking about moving from outsourced to in-house? Any best practices in that area? Yeah, I think, you know, usually what I see is, is a lot of outsourcing at less than 10 million, you know, but I'd say it's, it's you know, in that five to 10 million AR range, of course, I'm a little biased where others may be, you know, higher, you know, but it's like, that's when we've got to start thinking about what should we start pulling in-house? You know, should we start invoicing in-house? Uh, you know, do ARAP in-house and cash collections? You know, so you can start pulling these roles over in-house or maybe we hire a staff accountant and controller and can still use this outsourced accounting as their bench, you know, to, to leverage, you know, that and leverage their time within the company. Uh, 
you know, so I think you can have that gradual progression, but usually five to 10 million. And also it depends on how fast are you growing. You know, if you told me, hey, I'm a 5 million ARR growing to 10 to 15, then we could be behind the curve already where we have to start thinking about a controller, then a CFO. You know, but if you're, hey, I'm at five, slowly growing to six to seven, you know, then we've got a little bit more time. But that growth profile also dictates my urgency on how fast I'm moving the accounting in-house. You know, and then eventually, right, you get accounting in-house. Now let's make that first FP&A hire. You know, so let's get an FP&A analyst to help me with the metrics, help me with the forecasting budgeting. You mentioned one thing, which a lot of um, the companies we speak to are focusing on, which is improving their monthly close, mm -hmm. not just the timing, but the overall process, accuracy, efficiency. Um, and we see our clients making great strides in that area. What are some pointers and tips you'd give to people who have just insourced and are trying to improve their monthly close processes? Yeah, you know, I think it's something so, you know, fundamental to the close process and it sounds a little old fashioned, but it's just a checklist. So that monthly close calendar, you know, it could be in Excel. Of course, there are tools out there doing that now. But who is doing what as part of the close process? Those major activities that have to get done to close the books accurately and timely. You know, so things don't fall through the cracks. Don't, so we don't forget to reconcile, say, a balance sheet account. So laying out that monthly close process, you know, starting with, you know, just those initial, you know, day one activities or even day minus one and then rolling into the FP&A process. So who's doing it? Who's checking that off? Who's doing the review process? I think that's so critical because it is a little bit surprising. I see a lot of SaaS companies, uh, companies in general, who really don't have a documented close process and it's really haphazard. And then you know there are gonna be errors and mistakes introduced into that close process. Uh, it's really interesting you mentioned that. I was reading a book called The Checklist Manifesto. <laughs> which basically describes how, it's a, it's a funny title, but it describes how for different very important processes, whether it's starting up a power plant or getting an airplane ready for takeoff, the best practice is always to have a checklist. And so there are all these different industries that we don't think about that use exactly what you've described to have a high quality, repeatable, scalable process, whether it's industrial or consumer or, or financial. So it's, it's just interesting that you mentioned that. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of the things you've been talking about are, are kind of the basic building blocks. When you first insource, how you do your monthly close, how you have a good foundation to start doing metrics. Um, but I think you're also known for kind of being on the, the cutting edge of things. Um, so tell us more about what are some of the themes you are seeing that people should focus on in the future or to get to the next level. Say they already have all the building blocks in place. They have a great monthly close. They're on top of their metrics. They're driving them in the right direction. Uh, what are the next generation things and next level things people should be focused on to level up? Yeah, I think to level up, then it's it's moving from historical data now forward looking, you know, and that is so hard. And working with a lot of these SaaS companies, you know, one is just getting these reports in place, the data in place, the technology in place. So that's just, I would say the routine stuff should be routine. And now we can look forward looking, you know, and now working with SaaS companies, you know, I'm developing a process to figure out, are we scaling in the right direction? You know, so really important in finance for CFOs, for FP&A, are what are those indicators that show this business model is working? You know, on the revenue side, on the COG side, on OPEX, on, on employee and wage efficiency. You know, so I think that's that next step is always looking around the corner, what's coming up and be able to have a good forecast process in place. How is that impacted by internal, external environments or, or factors? 
And then, you know, scalability for SaaS is so important, uh, you know, that we have a path to profitability, you know. So, uh, you know, so for me, that's kind of that next thing is kind of the scalability process with SaaS companies to make sure we're not, you know, just burning cash with no path forward. Got it. So uh, really more thinking about the business plan and the forward looking growth of the company. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at certain indicators within the business to say that we are scaling in the right direction. This is a sustainable business model. And, you know, we're moving in the right direction because that question always comes up with SaaS founders like, when can I hire? Do I have enough cash runway, which is part of it? But then do we have the pieces in place, you know, that this business can scale successfully? Makes sense. Uh, so a lot of this goes to that first FP&A hire. We're building out the FP&A function that you alluded to before. Um, I think you've already given us a great explanation in terms of building out the accounting side and the reporting side. Any advice on building out the FP&A side? You, I think you've already addressed some of the objectives in terms of the kind of questions they should answer. But like, what are kind of the first steps someone should be taking in the early years or, or, or months of building out FP&A? Yeah, FP&A. I came up through the ranks of, of FP&A, so near and dear to my heart in the airline industry and then software. So, right, FP&A, you know, working closely with accounting, make sure we have you know, expenses coded correctly. So that handoff from accounting to FP&A and then FP&A, right, has its own process. So doing those performance reports, actual versus budget or forecast, you know, just that basic FP&A process that you want to put in place and then a good forecast process. Uh, you know, and then out of that, you have forecasted metrics. So where is the business go going? Are there any flags? Are we trending? Are margins trending in the right direction? Or out of that, is our business model not working? We just can't increase gross margin enough to get it to that spot. You know, then what's going on with that? You know, so I think performance reporting, forecasting a good budget process, and then putting those metrics in place, all part of those fundamental, you know, aspects of, of, of a nice monthly FP&A process. It's a really great overview. Thank you so much. Uh, well, we'd love to hear uh, more about what you're working on recently, uh, things that our followers can do to learn more about what you're teaching. There's obviously the great website, the SaaS CFO, which, again, I've been on, and I think many of our followers and clients are, are on all the time. Tell us what else you're working on and, and other things people can do to follow you. Yep, always posting uh, hopefully great content at the SaaS CFO, T-H-E, SaaS CFO.com. So, I uh, have another post coming up on retention there. Uh, so continue to post templates and, and how to on metrics there. Also have my academy site at the thesasacademy.com. Have free and paid courses there. So tons of content. You know, so taking this to video lessons, you know, walking through COGS versus OPEX, margins by revenue stream, uh, you know, and also have a SAS news site. So I live and breathe SAS right now, uh, you know, just trying to kind of, you know, spread the word on SAS finance and metrics. Well, I think you've done that very successfully. Um, so I wanted to say thank you on behalf of me and all the accounting and FP&A professionals who have used your materials and resources so much over the years. Uh, it's been great. And we're just thrilled to have you on this uh, podcast. So thank you again. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. Really appreciate it. To learn more about Roe, visit Roe.co and follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any future episodes of the Roe with CFOs podcast.